It's November 20th, 2016, and this is episode 315 of Let's Talk Bitcoin. On today's episode of Let's Talk Bitcoin, I'm here with Stephanie Murphy. Hi. And special guest Roger Veer. Hi, everyone. Thanks for being here today. Glad to be here. Thanks, Adam. So to just jump right into it and set the stage for today's conversation, um, over the last couple of months, we've had a number of talks on Let's Talk Bitcoin about what in practice Bitcoin scaling looks like and what it is looking like now that things are kind of sorting themselves out. And while a year ago, the battle was raging pretty fiercely between the forces of on-chain scaling and Bitcoin as a settlement scaling, kind of is the two different ways to do it, if you want to describe it like that. Um, Instead of a real solution, it kind of feels like we just got a split in the community. And so now we've got uh, two sides that basically don't want to talk to each other. And we're still kind of just walking ahead in the same direction. And so regardless of whether or not this decision has been made, that's kind of the context under which I want to have this is I want to talk to you, Roger, because you kind of represent the minority report as I can see it right now um, in the Bitcoin scaling conversation. And I want to talk about how things have gone over the last year in terms of just seeing how this balance has gone. And also, you know, if you think that the way that we're doing scaling now is actually such a bad idea now that we're seeing it in practice, because some of the things that were predicted to be real problems haven't wound up being problems. So um, just uh, backing up for a second, uh, why don't you kind of talk about how you found yourself, uh, you know, going from what was described for many, many years as Bitcoin Jesus to kind of this, uh, you know, which was a more kind of pure evangelism traveling and uh, speaking just kind of about the technology and the empowering nature of it to being one of kind of the leading proponents on the and that's my words there. I don't know if you consider yourself a leading proponent. But, um, you know, as somebody who, you know, believes strongly in and is pushing towards a truly on-chain vision of Bitcoin, where, you know, even if it's five years from now and there's, you know, a million people using Bitcoin on a daily basis, uh, I can still send a transaction from my Bitcoin wallet to your Bitcoin wallet. And it doesn't have to go through some kind of crazy layer that, you know, uses Bitcoin as its source of truth, but fundamentally that's using it, you know, for settlement as opposed to as the true peer-to-peer layer that we've uh, you know, that we've thought of it as for a very long time. So uh, once again, welcome to the show. And with that, I'll shut up. Sure. So uh, thank you for that. And uh, I guess there's a couple of points I'd like to address there. Uh, initially, you referred to me as maybe representing the minority viewpoint. And I'd like to point out that I don't think we really know which side is the majority and which side is the minority due to all the censorship and suppression of dissenting opinions that's going on online. Uh, a lot of the people that are in the you know, layer two scaling camp or whatever you want to call it. Um, All the people on the on-chain scaling camp have been complaining about the suppression of dissenting opinions on our Bitcoin. And they claim our Bitcoin on Reddit doesn't count and doesn't matter and nobody gets there. But if you look at the traffic stats, our Bitcoin's probably responsible for more people getting their Bitcoin news in the general public than every single other Bitcoin news website combined. So that's an incredibly important piece of the ecosystem where one side of the the argument has been completely shut out and hasn't been allowed to state their case at all. And if you look at the internet on these different discussion platforms where people discuss Bitcoin, I'm not aware of a single non-censored discussion platform in which the on-chain scaling people are the minority viewpoint. It's only on the censored platforms in which the layer two proponents only for scaling Bitcoin are the ones that appear to be the majority position. But if you look at the non-centered platforms, I don't know of a single one in which uh, in which the 
the on-chain scaling people that are in line with Satoshi's original vision, all of the uncensored ones, they seem to be the majority. So that's, I think, a, an important uh, point to note. Um, so there's no question about that. But what I say when I'm what, what I mean when I say you guys are the minority report is that every developer that I talk to out there who is working on the protocol seems to be in step with scaling as a, uh, you know, in layers on top and scaling with Bitcoin as a settlement. And I find very few people who are very, really on the side of, uh, you know, doing everything on chain and the reasons why, you know, the, the cases that they make are understandable and they seem to make sense to me. And from my perspective, you know, like uh, anyways, I'm 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 uh, getting in the way here. <laughs> I just wanted to address that the censorship is an issue, but it also does seem like it, even if the censorship was an issue, even if that's like a driving issue, that's not the reason why development is going in this way. The censorship is happening because the people who are driving development are taking it in this way and the community managers don't want the dissension now that that direction has been decided. So the problem seems to be, you know, with the people who are going to do it more so than it is with the community. So I, I guess I'd like to disagree again there. Um, one really incredibly prominent example of someone who's in favor of on-chain scaling uh, was obviously Satoshi Nakamoto. And then Gavin Andreessen, the person that Satoshi Nakamoto turned over the keys to the entire project to, has basically been driven away and uh, from the project and not been allowed to participate by a bunch of these people that many of them openly support the censorship that's going on by Thamos. And there's a whole bunch of developers that want to help Bitcoin and help Bitcoin scale on chain in line with the original vision as outlined by Satoshi. And they're not even allowed to participate and they're you know, ridiculed and they're kicked out of the IRC chat channels where other developers are, are chatting. So like, it's really, really an unfortunate situation, but I'd be more than happy to line up a, a whole list of developers that are in favor of on-chain scaling that would uh, be more than happy to come on your show and talk about it uh, in detail. There's a bunch of them, um, Gavin Andreessen probably being the most prominent one uh, as well, but there's, there's a bunch of others as well with really, really impressive credentials as well. Okay, so Roger, from your perspective, why the censorship? Why is it going on? What what are the incentives that people who are censoring have to censor? I think they genuinely believe in their heart of hearts that Bitcoin will be damaged if you allow it to scale on-chain. And so rather than allow that to happen, they'd rather resort to all these things that should be repulsive as well. I, if if you have to censor your opponent in a debate, that doesn't mean that you're winning the debate. It just means that you've you've censored your opponents. So um, that doesn't solve anything. And if anything, it just in this whole scaling debate, I was kind of watching from the sidelines and figured I would, you know, the market eventually would figure out what the best route for Bitcoin to take would be. And I kept pretty much silent until the censorship started. And it wasn't until the censorship started that I decided to get involved and, and let my voice be heard mainly to oppose the censorship in the debate um, more than anything else. So, okay, I get, I get why censorship um, could be a problem, is a problem. <laughs> um, but do you have genuine concerns that you really feel that on-chain scaling is, is going to be better for Bitcoin now? And can you explain those to us? Because I'm sort of where you described you were at before, of thinking, well, the market will find a solution. I don't really care one way or another how we get there, just it'll work itself out. How did you get from there to where you're currently at? So uh, I don't think anybody where I'm currently at is opposed to layer two solutions. Um, but I think that they can be used in conjunction with on-chain scaling. And there's a huge, huge amount of room for Bitcoin to scale on-chain still. 
And in addition to that on-chain scaling, we can build all these layer two solutions as well. Like there's, there's nothing wrong with layer two solutions, but we know for sure what has worked incredibly well to grow Bitcoin from almost nobody using it to millions of users today. And what worked for that was on-chain scaling with the blocks getting ever so slightly bigger month after month and more and more people around the world using that. So we know for sure that works. And what the current dev team is trying to do, they're trying to break what we know works for sure in the hopes that this new system that they're going to create will work better. And maybe it will work better, maybe it'll work really well, but we don't know for sure until we try it. And that seems like an incredibly risky thing to do, breaking something that we know works for sure in the hopes of something that might work once it's all set up and delaying you know, the growth of Bitcoin in the meantime while we've been waiting for that. And one of my other biggest... Hold on a second, Roger. Just quick point of clarification. So as far my understanding was that the block size has stayed the same for several years and it hasn't changed. What do you mean about we know that increasing the block size slowly works? So you and I first met through Bitcoin and Free Talk Live maybe five years ago now. It's been a while. Yeah, almost six. <laughs> yeah, I, I almost hate to admit that, but... It, it's been a long time. So when we first met, the maximum block size for Bitcoin blocks was one megabyte. But the actual block size of each block was maybe five kilobytes. And then it went from five kilobytes to 10 kilobytes as more people started using Bitcoin. I see what you're Bitcoin. saying. It just it never hit the ceiling during that time frame. Right. Okay. It's a limit. And, and it, it's taken you know the last five or six years to finally start hitting the ceiling. And now Bitcoin transactions off oftentimes are 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 cents. And if you're doing complicated transactions for anybody that's running a Bitcoin business that receives lots of payments from customers, oftentimes Bitcoin payments cost tens of dollars in fees now. And it's getting to the point where some Bitcoin transactions aren't even competitive with bank wire transfers. And that's a really, really, really big problem for people that want to see Bitcoin adopted by people all over the world and want to see Bitcoin compete with the dollar and the euro and, and the yen. And to me, that's terrifying because I've devoted, as you said, almost six years of my life now promoting Bitcoin full time with every waking moment of, of, of my existence. And now the whole roadmap and game plan that was outlined by Satoshi from day one is being completely subverted and co-opted by people that are resorting to censorship to win the debate. And, and I want to see Bitcoin as a transaction system that allows anybody to participate anybody in the, anywhere in the world without needing permission from any bank or government or corporation. And I don't think we should trust people that are resorting to censorship to, to win an argument to maintain Bitcoin as this open network that allows people to transact without permission. Yeah. Okay. So I hear I hear concerns about the censorship. And I also hear concerns that the core things that made Bitcoin great um, are being kind of eroded and taken away, such as the permissionless aspects and also just the low fees and that it was competitive with other methods of payment that currently existed. And zero spend transactions used to be much, much safer and they've intentionally damaged zero spend transactions. It's much, much easier to double spend a Bitcoin transaction today than ever before in the history of Bitcoin. And the time window in which you have the ability to double spend a transaction has gone from 10 minutes, hours and hours, and sometimes days. Right. So I can see how that, yeah, that when you put it that way, it does sound like a huge departure from what Bitcoin originally was and what got you and I excited about it in the first place. Yeah, <laughs> it really is. And it's, it's really, really terrifying to me, to be honest. Okay, so... 
you're not against layer two solutions and that's not really even on the table. You're just in favor of doing on-chain scaling at the same time because that's something that we know works. And so the, uh, so now when I talk to people who are on the other side of this argument, they are also not against on-chain scaling in, you know, the idea of increasing block sizes in theory. But then you start to talk to them about it in practice. What does that look like? And the conversation is, well, let's see what happens after segregated witness basically gives us a, a bit of a capacity increase. Um, I mean, it seems to me that there's a lot of reticence to going down this path because of the slippery slope or perceived slippery slope issue here. Um, is that the feeling that you get for this resistance as well? Or do you know why there's such resistance? What's the slippery slope, Adam? Explain that a little bit better. Sure. Yeah. So the, the idea there just basically is that, um, you know, they're concerned that if you uh, raise the block limit once, then it sets a precedent by which you can make arguments to do future block raises. And at some point in time, it might become dangerous, although pretty much everybody agrees at this point. I'm you know, generalizing, but most people uh, seem to agree that um, that you know, like a two megabyte block wouldn't actually put Bitcoin in danger. A four megabyte block probably wouldn't put Bitcoin in danger. And you know, as you go up, you know, I, if you if you remember BIP one hundred and one, um, it basically said that you know, at the end of the progression, uh, it would be something like eight thousand megabytes per block or something like that. So, uh, so I, that I think is the concern is they think that. There is a centralizing effect that happens as you increase the block sizes. And so even if it's safe to do it at these small levels, it's not safe to do it at the large levels. But the small levels lead us to the large levels in, you know, naturally because it's just an earlier stage of the progression. And pretty soon it's going to be a gig of data every 10 minutes and nobody's going to be able to actually store a copy of the blockchain except the most centralized organizations. Yeah. Right. Which then makes it really easy to say, oh, well, anybody who does, you know, Bitcoin mining as a business has to register. And then once you've got them registered, then you know where everybody is and blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. um, that's that's kind of the general butchered line of thinking <laughs> as far as I'm able to regurgitate it um, coming from kind of that perspective. And that seems like that's real. It seems like at a certain point it could become a problem. But I also find myself agreeing with you that it seems unnecessary to hit against these limitations now just because we're waiting for this stuff to happen in the future. Even if there are concerns, if like blocks become, you know, 15 or 80 megs or whatever. Well, I mean, like, is there a correct block size that you, th you think that there should be? Or are you kind of in the camp that uh, the block size should be determined by demand and it's just kind of a natural function? Yeah, so I'd, I'd like to address a, a couple of, of points there. Um, uh, in regards to the slippery slope argument, I don't buy into that at all. Um, and the reason why, and all, all of us, I, <clears throat> I think, are, you know, at least 20 years old on this call. <laughs> um, and we remember, you know, we remember before, you know, iPhones. And we probably remember when the first digital cameras came out. And, you know, you probably remember floppy disks that were 1.44 megabytes, right? Yes. <laughs> all, all of this stuff, I, I, I've had a career, you know, I was... I was in tech and a lot of, you know, people like to disparage me and claim I have, you know, I don't know anything about tech at all. I was in tech for, you know, 20 years, started two very successful tech startups in Silicon Valley. And when I first got started, we were selling Cisco access servers with 56 kingdoms. And today the same company started is now selling 100 gigabit optical transceivers. So it went from 56 kilobits to 100 megabits, right? That's a 1.7 million times speed increase. In just the course of a, about a little less than 20 years, 1.7 million times increase. Uh, 
Bitcoin blocks are one megabyte today. One one photo on your on your iPhone is like seven or eight megabytes for a single photo. Um, the the storage they're offering on the new iPhones is two hundred and fifty six gigabytes. The current blockchain is what around eighty gigabytes at the moment. So you could fit several you know several times the entire eight year history of Bitcoin's current blockchain on on you know a new iPhone. Uh, so I don't buy into any of these. And the storage and bandwidth and processing power is only going to get cheaper and cheaper and faster and faster over time. It's absolutely ridiculous to say that we can't increase that because of the slippery slope. Uh, there's two ways to scale Bitcoin, I suppose. There's through software efficiency improvements and through better hardware. And they're, they're, they're all these core developers that are currently working on, on Bitcoin, they're all software developers and they're focusing solely on improving the software efficiency of Bitcoin. And they're completely ignoring all the hardware efficiency improvements that have been made over the years. And I think that's because none of them were involved on the hardware side. Um, and the, the people that are in favor of their point of view, they're literally showing up at Bitcoin meetups and telling people to use credit cards for payments instead of Bitcoin. Uh, one, a couple, couple, two people within the last 24 hours literally told me the only people that count in Bitcoin are software developers and anybody else who's not a software developer doesn't count at all in any way, which is just absolutely ridiculous. It, ta it takes software developers. It's not that they're not important, but it takes businessmen and entrepreneurs and users that are just using it to buy their Starbucks coffee. It takes the entire ecosystem together if we want to use Bitcoin to change the world for the better in which everybody has control over their own money. It's not that the developers are the end-all be-all of everything. And uh, they seem to have absolutely refused to listen to the point of view of every businessman that's in the space or every end user that's in the space or anybody that's not part of their core development clique. I mean, so is that what you think it is? You think it's just like people got together and were like, hey, everybody, let's brainstorm on how to scale this. All right, we all agree on this. Let's push forward. And, you know, I mean, like, is, do you get a feeling of what the concern is uh, if you don't buy the kind of slippery slope argument behind this? Because, again, it seems like it's a whole it just seems like it's so charged of an issue for something that seems to basically boil down to you guys or, you know, your perspective would like on-chain scaling in addition to the layer two scaling with all the lightning and the side chains and things like that. And there's, and, and the other position doesn't want that. They just want the layer two stuff and they want to keep the basically one megabyte block, uh, forever it, or, or something close to that, right? Something closer to that than to the kind of extreme of uh, BIP 101 that, that was really designed for on-chain scaling. Yeah, another point I'd like to address, and I think you summed up their arguments very, very well, that they're basically afraid that if the blockchain gets too big and it requires too expensive of a computer to run a full node, they're afraid that there will be less full nodes around the world and Bitcoin will be more susceptible to control. And I think there's two things that they're not considering there. Right now, we have a few million people around the world using Bitcoin. If we allow Bitcoin to scale to where, you know, tens or hundreds of millions of people around the world are using Bitcoin and then, you know, a billion plus, you're going to have a much, much, much bigger pool of people to draw from that will be wanting to or interested in running a full node. So you'll have a much larger absolute number of full nodes. And a lot of the core developers seem to think that everybody should be running a full node. Uh, I think it's the absolute number of full nodes that counts for censorship resistance, not the percentage of people that are running a full nodes. If only 10 people in the world are, are using Bitcoin and there's 10 full nodes, so what? I'd rather see a world in which a billion people are using Bitcoin and we have, you know, even if it's only 10,000 full nodes, I think that's still plenty to maintain censorship resistance uh, for, for, for Bitcoin. And also, it's worth noting that the more people that are using Bitcoin, 
the more politically impalatable it becomes for politicians and governments to try and control and restrict and, and do bad things to Bitcoin. Whereas if Bitcoin's only being used by a million people, it's very easy for them to say, oh, it's a bunch of you know, drug dealers and terrorists that are using Bitcoin, Let, let's, let's ban it. Whereas if the entire world is using Bitcoin, they can't make those arguments anymore. I don't really know where to go with this conversation, Roger, because like, I don't know if there's anything that people can do. I don't know if there's anything that people should do. Kind of like, what are you doing right now? What's are you just like, uh, you know, we actually asked you to come on and talk about this. You didn't, uh, you know, ask to come on or anything like that. Uh, you know, so like, are you actively campaigning on behalf of this? Are you just like kind of in a wait and see mode? Or what's your kind of take on the situation right now? Are we just locked into this trajectory? More than anything else, I'm campaigning to allow free and open discussion and free and open debate of these ideas again. And, you know, things were contentious early on about the scaling debate. It turned into an absolute firestorm of, you know, civil war and vitriol online as soon as the censorship started. The censorship was like throwing gasoline on a, on a simmering fire before then, and it's turned into this giant explosion and almost like a civil war within Bitcoin here. And that's strictly because of the censorship. I think things were heated before the censorship started. Things got crazy once the censorship started. So my, my biggest push is to allow free and open discussion and debating of these ideas again. And the part that's really concerning to me is a, a number of people on the anti-on-chain scaling side are claiming that there is no censorship. They're claiming that it is, it's just moderation. And then one, Greg Maxwell, one of the CTO of Blockstream, the company that's employing the vast majority of the developers that are working on this, you know, core team, has openly said publicly that he thinks the censorship is a good thing. Why would we trust somebody who thinks censorship is a good thing in this case to maintain the censorship resistance of Bitcoin in the future? And the answer is I don't. Right. And you've started a couple of censorship-free forums, haven't you? I've gotten credit for starting censorship free forums. Um, <laughs> I guess that's one of the, the, the benefits or the drawbacks of having the position I have within the Bitcoin ecosystem is that I'll either get you know credit for or blamed for a lot of things that I had very little or nothing to do with. <laughs> um, but uh, there's RBTC, which was started by somebody else um, in, you know, in response to the censorship that was going on in our Bitcoin. And then later on, he turned over the top moderator spot to me just because he thought I would be able to attract more people to be able to use it. And it generally has somewhere between a third and half as many people on it at any moment as the main R Bitcoin channel. I think because a lot of people still don't know about it. Uh, and especially if you're someone who's brand new to Bitcoin and you're just, you know, clicking around looking news, you're going to come across our Bitcoin before our BTC. You're not going to think to search for BC. You're going to search for Bitcoin. And that's really unfortunate. And hopefully at some point we can bring enough pressure to end the, the censorship that's going on there. And then, of course, we've launched a, a forum on Bitcoin.com as well that allows open discussion. You can go there. Some people have said some really nasty, mean things about me personally on there, but their <laughs> posts are still up and still allowed. But if you go and try and say something, if you even if you don't even resort to any personal attacks about Thamos on our, our Bitcoin or our BitcoinTalk.org, which are his websites, if you just even complain about the censorship, the post gets deleted instantly. Whereas on our Bitcoin people, you know, calling me the Bitcoin Antichrist or whatever, and I disagree with them, but their post is still there. So I think that should show people, you know, if we want to have this, you know, free and open financial network around the world, we need to allow free and open discussion about, about that sort of thing as well. It's a tough situation. Um, I completely agree with your perspective. Obviously, censorship has not been helpful. I agree with you. It's been like pouring gas on the fire because you make it so people feel like 
like people like the other people don't even want to listen right and then that just like they're like all right we're gonna do this anyways we don't care about what you say and so then then that kind of makes the protest side even louder because you kind of have to be now that they've explicitly said that we're gonna you know censor you and we're gonna ignore you by any kind of means necessary i think it's almost equivalent to having like an out of control CTO at a company. Like imagine if you know all the customers and the users and, and the, the owner and everybody's saying, hey, here's what the customers want. Here's what the customers need. Here's what we want to do. And the CTO is saying, you know, okay, we can do all that, but you have to wait, you know, three years. And we, even though there's a whole bunch of customers right now today, and there's this other safe way that we can serve the demand of all those customers. I'm literally, the, the economic ignorance that's on display from some of these people on the other side, like the other day I, I tweeted something that's like, you know, very, very, very basic economics. If something costs, people use less of it. And that applies to hamburgers and coffee and cars. Like if something, if coffee at Starbucks costs a dollar versus $10, at $10 a cup of coffee, people are going to drink less coffee than at $1 a cup of coffee. And Bitcoin transactions at 10 cents are going to be used more than Bitcoin transactions at a dollar. And Bitcoin transactions at you know one cent are going to be used more often than Bitcoin transactions at 10 cents. And there was a, so much pushback for me saying that that was crazy, that, that, that they basically claimed that like price doesn't affect the amount of something that people are going to consume. And yeah, different, different things have different amounts of elasticity for demand based, based on the price of something. But there is an effect there, absolutely. And we know for sure from you know, all sorts of CEOs of Bitcoin businesses that are serving customers, High fees on the Bitcoin network today are turning people away from Bitcoin and making people that would use Bitcoin use something other than Bitcoin and driving potential Bitcoin transactions off chain as well, which which degrades the censorship resistance of Bitcoin. Yeah, I agree that there's a lot of people involved in cryptocurrency who seem to like not understand basic economic things. But isn't that kind of what happens when you have a big tent with lots of users? Is this just like an inevitable problem? Do you see that there's any way to fix this yeah the, I, I guess it's good that we're having a big tent problem at bitcoin because you know six years ago when you and i first met stephanie we we definitely didn't have a big tent at that point so it's no. good. I, I, I guess a lot of people some people have been bashing me saying I'm, I'm bashing bitcoin and i guess i'd like to point out that all the problems i'm complaining about with bitcoin right now are because bitcoin has been so incredibly successful over the last six years. What an incredibly wildly successful, wild, fun time we've had over the six, last six years growing Bitcoin from you know, just a couple of thousand people to now you know, millions of people around the world with Bitcoin meetups and conferences and you know, podcasts and just more stuff than any human being could even hope to keep up with being produced and in uh, content on every day. Somebody couldn't even keep up with that with a whole lifetime at this point. Uh, so these are good problems to have and it's because Bitcoin's been so successful but we don't want to turn away users. I look at look at face. I'm sorry. Look at MySpace. Uh, a few years back, they seemed like they were on top of the world, and it was seemed unimaginable that anybody would start using something other than than uh, more than a few years. <laughs> time goes quickly, but not not all that long ago. And boom, they're gone. Nobody uses that. And then, if you remember before MySpace, there was another one called Friendster. Oh yeah. And and I think it would be really sad and unfortunate for that exact same thing to happen to Bitcoin. And I think the Bitcoin becoming the MySpace or the Friendster of, of cryptocurrencies is a much, much, much bigger risk than the, the centralization risk that people are afraid of if the blocks become too big and, I, and it takes too expensive of a computer to run a Bitcoin full node. To me, the, the, the risk of people moving on to something other than Bitcoin that has better properties of as money than Bitcoin does, because Bitcoin was, you know, that seems like a much, much bigger risk to me than the centralization stuff. And uh, 
the thing that has me the most upset, as I've said, you know, 10 times on your podcast now is the censorship needs to end. Like we can't possibly hope to make advancement if we don't uh, allow free and open discussion of these ideas. So it sounds like you haven't given up hope that it's po- it's still possible to sort of save Bitcoin from your perspective, right? Like if you thought that it was inevitable that Bitcoin's never going to scale at the core level, why would you continue to put your energy into it, right? So you're still hopeful that it could go your way? I'm I'm more than hopeful. I, I think it's looking pretty likely. And <laughs> there's been a it. huge, huge uh, announcement in the last uh, 24 hours. The CEO of the fifth biggest mining pool in the entire world via BTC did an Ask Me Anything on our BTC yesterday. And in that, he announced that uh, Ant Miner and F2 Pool are planning to switch to Bitcoin Unlimited blocks as well. And unlimited Bitcoin Unlimited doesn't mean unlimited block size. It just means that the miners and the runners of the full node get to determine what the maximum size block that they'll create is and what the maximum size block that they will uh, accept is. So it basically puts the scalability on chain in hands of the people that are actually running the nodes and mining the blocks, which seems to make a whole lot more sense. And basically, it puts it in the hands of the people that are using Bitcoin rather than a bunch of developers who a lot of them don't. They're, you know, maybe they're very good software developers, but they don't understand the underlying economics that made Bitcoin useful as money. And they're damaging those things that made Bitcoin useful as money so that fewer people are going to use Bitcoin. And maybe maybe the route they have of blocking on-chain scaling in favor of layer two solutions only, even though the layer two solutions will take much longer to come online and be available, maybe that will still work out in the end. Maybe the whole world will be able to use that and, and it will work out. But from my point of view, that looks like a lower percentage chance of success than following the path we know for sure has worked over the last eight years of the existence of Bitcoin to grow Bitcoin from basically nothing to where it is today. I think that has a much higher likelihood uh, for a chance of success than changing some and trying something that is brand that we haven't tried before and we don't know for sure works. So I would rather take the safe and prudent and and tested, tried and true option for Bitcoin, which is on-chain scaling rather than some new option that, like I said, maybe will work, but we don't know. Uh, for me, you know, there's $12 billion worth of value on the line. And, uh, you know, a nice sized chunk of that is my own Bitcoin. I want to take the safe, the safe route, not this dangerous wild route, which is what I see happening today. And that's why I've been so vocal in, in this debate. Thanks for listening to this episode of Let's Talk Bitcoin. Stay tuned on next week's episode for part two of our interview with Roger, where he lays out the actions he's taken and the solutions that he's building. The magic word for episode 315 is size. That's S-I-Z-E. Size. You know what to do with that. This episode was very lightly edited and featured content from Roger, Stephanie, and Adam. Music was provided by Jared Rubens. If you have any questions or comments, email adam at letstalkbitcoin.com. And let me just mention that the LTB network is not currently accepting new submissions but stay tuned for some positive changes in 2017. That's it. See you next week for 316.